Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Believe in Pro Wrestling Podcast. Here's Ricky Chino and SP3 on the Believe Podcast Network. What is going on, good people? Happy Tuesday afternoon here on the Believe in Pro Wrestling Podcast YouTube channel. Rick Uccino, SP3 with you here till about 3 o'clock or so. And we have got so much to dive into on the heels of what was a spectacular AEW Revolution pay-per-view. MJF, Brian Danielson putting on an all-time classic in the main event, we had multiple title changes. We had surprise returns. And speaking of surprise returns, we had one last night on Monday Night Raw, although you didn't see him on screen. Uh, we had Jay Uso finally make his decision. Was it Sami Zayn or the Bloodline? Multiple new matches have been made official for WrestleMania. And did John Cena do irreparable damage to Austin Theory last night? My God, the, the term I used on Twitter was verbal castration, and I don't think that I could come up with a better phrase than that. My goodness. You can follow me on Twitter, by the way, at Rick Uccino. As you see, it's spelled on the screen. Follow him at True Heel SP3. SP3, how are we doing today, good sir? I'm exhausted, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be honest. I've been up since before 5 a.m., uh with two new freshly minted three-year-olds yeah because today is my twins birthday but i couldn't i i I took off from all my other gigs but i think i forgot to tell rick that today was the twins birthday so when i when i when i when he messaged me early today i was like oh sheesh i think i have i have to do it my missus was like no you don't have to i was like i'm not gonna cancel last minute so that's why i just told rick before we went live have a a a certain amount of time so if you if you uh understand the brevity of of some of my answers to today's questions that is why try to get a lot in in a short amount of time so of course if they're if they're watching this sometime into the future happy third birthday harlem sydney i love yes absolutely let's go big day big day you totally could have messaged me i could have done this at another (laughs) day but anyway uh before we dive into everything and get to your comments as well we thank all of the guys who are in the chat so far today what is up uh, safet and ace and Andrew and Queen and Frantic World. Uh, yeah, look at this. We, we're, we're getting happy birthday to the twins, to SP4 and 5. Uh, we are getting all the thanks, and we appreciate that. Uh, before we dive into everything, though, got to thank our friends at Bet Online. Still have to make time to do that because we would not be here without them. They are your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season, from pro to college basketball, UFC, MMA, Major League Baseball is getting ready to fire up. They got live betting options, free contests, live scores for almost any sport and game imaginable. It is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues. Go to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just make sure to use our promo code BELIEVE to get those rewards. That is B-L-E-A-V, betonline.ag, where the game starts. Yes, we will get into what was an awesome revolution pay-per-view, but SP3, I think we got to start with WWE today, especially when a certain Vincent Kennedy McMahon, for the first time since his retirement, makes his return at least to the building that Monday Night Raw uh, was at. And apparently, yes, he was, as SP3 is alluding to here, turning some heads with his look. Um, apparently, he he grew a mustache in his time away that was, according to reports, eerily reminiscent of Gomez Adams from the 1990s Adams Family uh movies we're talking old school christopher lloyd we're talking back when christina ricci was like eight years old all right we're that that's how that's how old school we're going back here apparently that's what the mustache looked like no actual photos have been tweeted out unfortunately yet at this time but hopefully somebody has got the damn pictures but sp3 um this was a hot button topic the news was broken by Meltzer and alvarez of wrestling observer sean rossap then confirmed it Obviously, that's going to be a major talking point amongst the talent. The question was why he was there. The story for out of WWE, he was there to visit John Cena, but he was also chilling at gorilla position 
all night last night. He wasn't given orders. He wasn't barking orders. He wasn't given direction. He wasn't even really given feedback, but SP3, SP3, what do you make of Vince McMahon camping out in gorilla position three weeks out from WrestleMania? You got to appreciate, you know, PW Insider going out there for the WWE defenders, the stand up for WWE nation who was just like, you know, he's just there to, to visit John Cena. Nothing, nothing more, nothing less. He's at, he's at gorilla position because um he's just used to that position. Yeah. And, you know, he's not saying anything to Triple H. No, no, no. He doesn't have Triple H's ear. He's not giving him creative. He's not backing creative. No, 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 no. I mean, I think it's a great, a great, uh, you know, veiled excuse to say that he's there for John Cena and then he's at gorilla position the whole entire night. All night. Uh, it's just funny. It's funny how everything is transpiring and coming to light the way I thought it would. And this is exactly the systematic chipping away that I thought Vince would do when he came back to the board of directors in January. So to say I'm not surprised would be an understatement. Yeah. So look, there, there, there's part of me, right? There, there's a big part of me that just wants to go that this is no big deal. There's a huge part of me that wants to go that this is no big deal. This man still owns the company. He can come and, and take a visit like any other owner of a product, no bigger than or no bigger deal than Mike Brown sitting down to watch his Bengals play on a Sunday, right? It's a big show. His boy John Cena's in town. There's a lot of emphasis within the company to make last night's Raw a great show. A lot of big moments on the show last night. I would say that they delivered. And then, yeah, why not? Why not have the owner of the company show up, chill for a little bit? Say hi to people he hasn't been there for a while and then leave. He has every right to do that, SP3. He has every right to do that. He still owns the company. So there's a big part of me that wants to say this isn't a big deal. This is no big, this is no bigger deal than the head of iHeart visiting, you know, one of his radio station clusters in San Antonio or New York or Chicago, anything like that. But then there's that feeling deep down inside. With, certain, with some certain creative decisions that have been made recently, with maybe some comments that were made on commentary last night, and I'm telling you, and I text you, like, when, when, it, when it was going on, I'm like, there is something, I believe it was during the Carmella match, where usually Corey Graves is up and excited and is boisterous. Corey Graves sounded like there was something eating at him last night. And that's just total speculation on my part. Like, I don't know if anybody else heard it, but during Carmella's match last night, Corey Graves sounded disheartened and disinterested. And I don't know, again, if I'm reading into it or not, but Vince McMahon being a gorilla position and then all of a sudden commentary sounding off. Oh boy, that sounds eerily familiar, does it not? So again, I might be reading into things, but that's something that stuck out to me. And I'm not saying one has to do with any, with. Uh, one has to deal with the other, but that's just what immediately popped into my mind last night is there, there were some times on commentary where I'm going, boy, that's a little weird. And then we find out Vince was in gorilla all last night. So I don't know. I don't know what it means. I'll say this much once. All right. No big deal. He shows up at SmackDown on Friday or he starts showing up at raw on a regular basis. Then we're going to know that last night meant a little bit more than, than, Hey, I'm just here to see John Cena. I mean, as far as the commentary goes, I'm uh, still there, SP3. Yeah, I'm here. I I see you're frozen, but I don't know if that that's me frozen or you frozen. I don't know. But um, as far as commentary goes, I don't find raw commentary to be very good all the time. Um, so. I mean, to each his own, I guess, when it comes to that. Um, as far as Vince McMahon camping out in Gorilla and if it had any effects on the rest of the show. Oh, I guess it's just me, guys. I, I was really worried. I that's why I was kind of I was kind of puzzled there. Hi, there we go. Rick's back. Hi. Yes. How, how much how much of what I said did you hear? 
I, I just heard you say uh, SP3. Are you there? And no one in the in the comments is saying if I was the one messed up or it was you. So I was very confused right there. But like I like I said, I don't find raw commentary oh. to be very good all the time. So I kind of tune it out. So if Corey was different in any way, I wouldn't have even known. And I think we lost Rick again. Uh, someone in the comments let me know that y'all can at least see me. Y'all can at least see me and y'all can hear me. I'll move this for now until Rick comes back. But hey, to each his own. Um, Vince is back. I think that we just need to get used to it. I think that this is the beginning of what's to come, ladies and gentlemen. Vince McMahon back in Gorilla, back in backstage, making matches for WrestleMania. It's just get used to it. Get with the program. Triple H is, is running things for now. Be happy that Triple H is the final say. Okay, cool, cool. They 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 telling me. They telling me here. Thank you, thank you guys. I was very confused right there. I was very right, confused. I, my, I don't know. My internet just keeps kind of spinning and doing its thing. So I'm like, all right, let's either that or Streamyard's having problems. I don't know. Anyway, we got completely thrown off the rails there. What the hell are we talking about? <laughs> hey, we'll move on to the next thing. Vince is back. I just told everybody, just get used to it. I think that this is the beginning of what's to come. Uh, well, we we shall see. Regardless, last night's show ended in a in a big way. SP three. Um, we have not seen much of Jay Uso since Elimination Chamber, where he had his really huge indecisive moment about who he was going to side with, whether it was going to be Roman Reigns, whether it was going to be Sami Zayn. And last night, man, he shows up as Sami is wrestling Jimmy in the main event. And we got this absolute look. The story just continues to take incredible turns. We got a moment last night where it looked as though Jay Uso was choosing Sami Zayn over the bloodline. And then he, he gives a big hug to Sammy. The crowd in Boston loses their damn mind. And they, they throw up the, 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 the ones we, the ones, and they look back at Jimmy and Sammy's like, I got your brother. Now it's not too late for you, Jimmy. We, we can save you and we can take down the bloodline together. And then all of a sudden Sammy looked or Sammy just looks over his left shoulder and gets super kicked to hell <laughs> to the guardrail as Jay just uh, pounces on the man and starts screaming. Did you really think I was going to choose you? I guess my only question was, why the hell did it take so long for Jay Uso to make his decision? But regardless, the payoff last night for me was spectacular. I thought it was a great way to close out the show. Not only that, you get Cody Rhodes rushing out to make the save because KO still ain't ready to, to buddy buddy up with Sami Zayn. So that's the next piece of the puzzle of how we're getting to what should be our night one main event. Now the Usos are on the same page. Jay Uso's back in the bloodline. Now it's how can Sammy convince KO to join up with him to get that match that we all know is coming, but probably isn't going to be booked until the last week, uh, uh, last few days ahead of WrestleMania. I, I do also like what they did uh, because you have to pay attention now in raw backstage segments. The segment with uh, Elias talking to Rick Boogs in the background, you could see Cody was talking to Kevin Owens and trying to convince him that he needs to align with uh, Sami Zayn. And that's the only way they could basically take down the bloodline is what I'm assuming he was talking to him about. I just would have wished that Cody came out with a weapon of some kind because Cody taking off his jacket shouldn't be enough for the bloodline when they're three deep to be dipping out of, of the of the scene like that but everything else about that segment was just pitch perfect jay coming out and trying to rally for jimmy and being the distraction that causes him the match against sammy the emotion on his face as he basically looks like he's choosing sammy over jimmy and hugging him and then throwing the ones up and as soon as he positioned like this i was like oh it's a wrap oh. It's a wrap. It's over. You're done. You're done, good old buddy. It's over for you. 
and the super kick came and just Jay with all the emotion. You thought I would choose you? You thought I would choose you over my blood? And throwing him into the ring and then Jimmy coming uh, coming in to pound on uh, on Sammy and then Solo coming down. This was just great stuff. This was a, a moment that you needed to cap off was, was a show that they really had their eyes towards WrestleMania. Like yeah. I said, uh, since Elimination Chamber, it felt like a lot of for lack of a better term, dicking around on Monday Night Raw to, to, to get through the first two couple of weeks before they get into the WrestleMania build. Last night felt like an actual build road to WrestleMania episode of Monday Night Raw because this this segment was definitely something that I'm glad that I stayed up for. I wasn't glad when my kids woke me up in the morning, but I was <laughs> glad you know that I stayed up and I watched the full show because I was contemplating leaving and and just turning off the show uh, after John Cena's return because we'll talk about that. But uh, yeah, yeah, the the ending was worthwhile because you finally got a big storyline moment that was built to properly. And I do agree with a lot of people that were saying that it's good that they didn't give that away at Elimination Chambers because it made the last couple of weeks very important. And the most important thing is that Jay made his decision based on Jimmy Uso which is a callback to the Hell in a Cell in 2020, where he only quit and became a soldier for the tribal chief Roman Reigns because Jimmy was in danger because Roman yep. had the guillotine on an injured Jimmy. That was the reason why he quit and thus losing that matchup. He had to acknowledge Roman Reigns as the tribal chief. So once again, he is becoming a loyal soldier of the bloodline for Jimmy because Jimmy's position was at risk if he didn't come back into the fold. I love Paul Heyman throughout the night being the devil on, on Jimmy's shoulder and being like, hey, man, is this an important night for you? If you don't take care of Sami Zayn, if, if Jay doesn't come back into the fold, he's going to blame you. He's not going to blame anybody else. He's going to blame you. And really, he wasn't really even directing those comments towards Jimmy. He was really directing those comments towards Jay. So yeah. they were gaslighting by Roman Reigns via Paul Heyman. The layers to this story is just tremendous. This is the best story that they got going on. And after that ending, I'm like everybody else. I think that it should be a foregone conclusion to WWE that Jay, uh, the Usos versus Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens is your night one WrestleMania main event because... Don't get me started on the women's title feuds, but this fits perfect. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that I love about Paul Heyman is like once he's done with his gaslighting and his manipulating, he immediately pulls up the phone. Call Roman Reigns. I got to do a status report. And it's like, you know, it's it, it's Paul that's moving all the you know, doing all the clicks and the wires and the and the shuffling of the puzzle pieces. Right. But it's really Roman who's pulling his strings. And it's just so damn good. Uh, I will say for like a half second, they they got me last night thinking that they were going to close the show with Sammy and Jay on the same page and set up an angle for Friday. They sold me just a little bit because I knew that Jimmy wasn't going to line himself with Sammy. But man, you could have had people talking for several days if they did close out the show and then set something up on Friday for the turn on Sami Zayn. So I thought maybe, maybe you could have done something like that, but the way that they orchestrated it was, was flawless. It was absolutely to perfection. And by the way, you brought up Cody Rhodes. I love Cody Rhodes getting involved in this. And I had somebody at my, my shoot job ask me about it today. And I'm like, look, man, there's a reason why Cody Rhodes wants to get Sammy and Kevin on the same page. Because if Sammy and Kevin accomplish their goal of taking out the rest of the bloodline, well, then all of a sudden he gets Roman Reigns one-on-one -on -one in the main event. There is no Solo Sokoa. There is no Usos. If he can get Sammy and KO to be his little soldiers and take those chess pieces off the board, well, now all of a sudden it's WWE's new chosen one, which is really weird considering that that's, that's, that's Cody Rhodes now, against the old chosen one in Roman Reigns. That's why it's so brilliant for Cody to get involved in that. One, yes, to help keep Sammy over and to help keep Sammy from eclipsing him. That's why they're doing it from a, a creative standpoint. But Cody's a genius. He's a mastermind. He knows what he needs to do to level the playing field. And he knows he's going to win this match at WrestleMania psychologically more than he's going to 
physically. And that's the way he's going to have to get it done. And that's how ultimately I think he will get it done. Uh, we did have several more matches that were made official uh, for WrestleMania last night, SP3, including two big ones. We knew they were coming, but now we know they are official. Two of the better segments last night to set these up. Seth Rollins, Logan Paul. We know that is going down. And then we know that it is going to be Cena versus Austin Theory for the WWE United States Championship. And I kind of want to focus there for a second because, like I said at the top of the show, John Cena showed back up in his hometown and verbally castrated that man last night. I mean, there, there I don't know how that segment does anything to help Austin Theory one iota. You, I mean, I don't think Theory, I think Theory held his own. It, like he didn't look timid, he didn't back down, he didn't forget lines. Like he went out there and did what he was he was tasked with doing with John Cena. But John that like he wasn't given the material to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with John Cena, or John Cena went so off script and did what John Cena does best, which is tear down his opponents psychologically and insult them. But this man went so far as to call Austin Theory last night ruthless aggression John Cena that almost got fired. Like, he went on to say that this crowd does not give a fuck about you so much as though WWE has to pipe in crowd noise to make it seem like they give a shit about your matches. Homeboy broke the fourth wall and actually talked about the shitty piped-in crowd noise that WWE uses from time to time. I mean, he tore down Austin Theory from top to bottom. He said, if you beat me at WrestleMania, you lose everything. If I beat you, you lose everything. You were in a no-win situation. SP3, did, did Cena put Austin Theory in a no-win situation by completely tearing that man down like he did last night? Literally, Cena put Austin Theory in a situation that he has to make John Cena tap out. Or, like, what do you, what did he gain? Like, he literally told him, if you win, you lose everything because you got to be in front of the Raw at the WrestleMania crowd without me, and you can't use me to prop you up. Like, Cena basically pulled down that young man's pants in front of the in front of the world the fact that he called him like i i don't think a lot of people realize how disrespectful calling him the ruthless aggression version of john cena was like i know there was some people that was like oh no he's trying to say that you're 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 the future him if he stays on course he'll be him no he's not saying that when he called him the ruthless aggression, John Cena virgin, John Cena was the ruthless aggression virgin of himself for four months. My dude Theory has been signed by WWE for four years. This is the third version of Austin Theory that we've seen, ladies and gentlemen. He came into the company as a young upstart. You know, he joins up with Selena Vega and Andrade and oh, um, God, yeah. and Garza on the main roster after being introduced on NXT. Then he becomes the the um the understudy of Seth Rollins along with Buddy Matthews uh, on, during the pandemic era. Then Speaking Out happens. He goes back to NXT. He becomes the son of Johnny Gargano in the way. Then he gets called back up. He has the cell phone version of himself. And then, you know, Triple H totally tore that down uh, with him losing money in the bank with the worst money in the bank cash in of all time. And now we have the now Austin theory, the, yeah. the forever reign. That's I literally went through four different characters for this. You went through man. five. You went through five. Five different characters for, for this guy. And you're literally saying he's the first character you was for four months before you found the doctor of thugonomics that was your huge breakout. Like, that's disrespectful when you say what you are is what I was in my first four months and you've been here for four years. I don't know how you come back from that. I literally had people on the True Hill Heat watch along. Tell I was like, uh, LVP for the for the night is is definitely Austin Theory because he yes they they were trying to make the point. No, he can't be LVP because he got what he wanted. But Cena told him what you wanted is going to be a bigger failure for you because yeah. if you lose, you lose everything. You got embarrassed by an old man, John Cena. If you win, you lose everything because people are gonna you're gonna 
going to be exposed in front of the Raw after WrestleMania. So did he really gain anything by getting this matchup? No. Literally, he's at the point where he literally has to put John Cena in the STFU and tap him out. He basically has to be MJF versus Brian Danielson for him to gain anything from this match at WrestleMania. Yeah, uh, Javon saying the dick punch took me out, laughing uh, my ass off. Yeah, he literally said this man had no balls. Uh, like, to the point where he stopped his music from playing to make sure to just emphasize one more time, this man has no dick. Like, that's what John Cena did last night. Noob saying, remind, uh, m- remind us of something. Adam Cole destroying Karrion Cross uh, two years ago on NXT. Yeah, it... Look, man, these these things can be hard to come back from. Like, you want to tear down your opponent when you deliver a promo, but don't do it to a point where, you know, you destroy who that character and who this person is to the audience, right? There's there's an art to it of still putting your opponent over even when you're trying to diss them. And last night, I don't know if it was by design. I don't know if John Cena went rogue. I don't know if he truly feels this way. I don't know what the plan is for Austin Theory, but my God, they did not set Austin Theory up well last night. He came off looking bad. And you say he has, he almost has to tap Cena out. I think he almost has to squash John Cena, like literally squash John Cena at WrestleMania. Cause if that's the, and if that's the point where we're at, why did we put this match on? Why did we put this match on if John Cena is just going to show up and get Brock Lesnar or Undertaker again on the big stage? Like, I want to actually he's see been He's been squashed twice at WrestleMania, ladies and gentlemen, John Cena. John Cena been squashed by The Undertaker at WrestleMania 34 and then WrestleMania 36 with the Firefly Funhouse because yeah. he did not do anything but yeah. went through a, his own personal nightmare in that match. So, yeah, I, I don't know. This felt like, like Javon said in the chat, this felt like the sequel of what he did to the big dog Roman Reigns in 2017 yeah. but the the bright side for Austin Theory is when Cena goes to like tearing down his opponent he usually loses like it's only a rare amount of, you can count it on the amount, on one hand the amount of times that he tore his opponent down and then won uh, the Miz before WrestleMania 33 and the mixed tag with Nikki Bella versus Miz and Maurice he tore down Miz and then won uh, he tore down AJ Styles even after AJ Styles beat him three times he tore him down before he beat him at Royal Rumble 2017 and his uh his promos against Baron Corbin before at before uh, SummerSlam 2018. Those are the few times that Cena has tore someone down and then won. So it's very rare he does it. Usually when he tears you down, that means he's gonna lose. But yeah. I think air down was a little too close to home here. Yeah. Um, look, the only thing that I think maybe they can do, you know, is if Cena turns out to be a liar in this situation and he actually, John does actually show up at the, the raw after WrestleMania after theory beats him and then puts him over in the process. I think that might be the only way uh, to salvage uh, what they did last night. We appreciate everybody who's in the chat uh, so far, everybody who is watching live right now on YouTube or on Twitter or wherever you guys are watching right now, Facebook as well. Uh, go ahead and hammer that thumbs up button wherever you're liking it because it uh, it helps drive up our audience. And if you're new to the show, you like what you hear, make sure to hammer that subscribe button as well as we continue our climb. Uh, we're getting closer to 600 every single day. So we always uh, appreciate the support. Make sure to get your comments in. We'll try to get to as many of them as possible. SP3, let's dive into this, shall we? It's time to answer the five counts on the Believe Podcast Network. You brought up MJF and Brian Danielson, and that is where we are going to start the five count today. The five biggest questions, air quotes around that, facing the professional wrestling world this week. I I, want to start with the match itself here, SP3, before I get to the actual question, because there's a lot to unpack with that match that happened at AEW Revolution. But there's two things I want to say for sure. One, MJF is as good as he says he is 100%. This was his chance. This was his opportunity to go out there and prove and back up everything that he says. And he did it 100%. He did it. He went toe to toe for 60 plus minutes with Brian Danielson. And I'm not talking about the result of the match. We all knew what the result of the match was. I'm talking about from a performance standpoint, we knew Brian Danielson was going to go out there and put on a show. He didn't have to carry MJF across the finish line. 
MJF went out there from a character standpoint, from a wrestling standpoint, from a storyline standpoint, and sold everything. It was compelling television from minute one to minute 65 or however long the overtime period went. Yeah, he had to cheat to win, but who gives a damn? In fact, Bryce Remsburg getting involved and not getting totally clowned. I agree with Sean Rossap on this, right? Like if you're going to have a referee miss a spot, like the, the oxygen tank, at least have him be on the ball for a few other things. So, right. So he was, he's like, hit him with the damn, hit him with the damn belt and willingly lose the damn thing. Right. Oh, you have the dynamite diamond ring. Let me, let me peel this off while you're in this submission hold here real quick. Cause you ain't going to use that. Not on my watch. And then, yeah, MJF was able to hit him with the oxygen tank and made still though. He didn't pin him. He made Danielson tap out. Right. That's, that was art. That was brilliant. That was an absolute five-star classic that we saw from those two. So one, MJF is as good as he says he is. Two, for me, Brian Danielson continues to solidify himself as one of the greatest performers to ever do this. Any era, any time, I don't care. I had last time somebody asked me that that BS, well, who's on your wrestling Mount Rushmore? The impossible question to answer. I had Brian Danielson in my top four that day. I just did because of performances like this and the fact that he has done, he does performances like this in his sleep. But this one was absolutely special. The story, though, was MJF proving that he could do it. He was brilliant in the build. He was brilliant during the match. And he was brilliant after the match in his post-media scrum, just sitting there channeling his CM Punk. But instead of cupcakes, it was pickles that this man, he's screaming at reporters to come up, eat a fucking pickle and sit down, you marker. Whatever the hell it was that he said, the guy knows how to perform and knows how to put on show. The only blemish, the only blemish, SP3, on the entire night was him grabbing what he thought was a cup of water from a mom and pouring it on a kid, and it turned out to be tequila. Got in the kid's eye. Had some people at ringside, including Fightful's Will Washington, on site. Kudos to him for helping cheer cheer the kid up. And luckily, these, these were cool folks, right? These were cool folks who were like, oh, we get free tickets. We're going to go backstage. We're going to meet Will Hobbs. Everything is great, right? All, all is good. Um, yeah, that might finally be the line that, that MJF... Uh, is uh, should not cross uh, moving forward. But SP3, before I parlay that into our question, uh, your thoughts on the match itself. Matt simply is in the conversation for the greatest AEW match of all time. And I'm not even going to have a conversation. I completely agree with Savette. It's the best Iron Man match of all time. You can you can tell me, oh, you know, growing up, I always liked Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels. <laughs> Try watching it as a grown up and seeing 30 fucking minutes of headlocks. I love Shawn Michaels. I think that Shawn Michaels is one of the greatest in-ring performers of all time. He was my favorite wrestler growing up. I love Bret the Hitman Hart. He was the first wrestler I ever liked. And I think that he is the greatest technical wrestler of all time. That match was not very good. <laughs> like, I will just say that if you want to give me rock in Triple H, great Iron Man match in. I would definitely say that that was in the conversation for the best Iron Man match ever. But it has a whack finish with the Undertaker costing the rock. I will never forget that because rock is also one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. You can give me Brock Lesnar and Kurt Angle. That was the best Iron Man match, in my opinion, before Sunday night. Because that was just so well built with Brock, you know, uh, killing a couple of falls with disqualifications just so he could take the lead on Kurt Angle. Kurt Angle rallying back and just coming up just short before the 60 minutes is done. But that was booked. That was basically an Iron Man match booked to be on TV. So really, us as fans only saw 45 minutes of the 60 minutes. So taking all of that into account. What MJF and Brian Danielson were able to do was superb. For 60 minutes, they had everyone engaged from the, the, the wrestling display and sequence at the beginning of the matchup to how they paced everything. HB, uh, the HBK tribute from uh, MJF, the, the selling of his knee, Danielson selling of the arm, the yes. bloodshed at the end, the table spot with the elbow drop off their ring pose, the tune stone on the table the heat seeker for the third for the third fall for mjf mjf killing a fall with the low blow to get two to tie yeah. things up this 
how they put this together. There is nothing like this as far as an Iron Man match. So I'm not even going to have a debate with you. This is the greatest Iron Man match of all time. Yeah, and I'm not going to argue with you at all. I, I 100% agree with everything that you said. Trust me, I typically like arguing with you, but we're also trying to make this a quick show. Um, one of the other things, and I wouldn't fault you if you missed it because there was so much that came out news-wise ahead of this show and after this show, but MJF did do an interview where, or no, actually, he didn't do an interview. There, This was a Fightful Select report. See, even I'm trying to get my facts straight. There was a Fightful Select report that MJF had been speaking recently with some talent in the other locker room over in WWE and legitimately said, I can't wait to be there with you guys next year. Like, whether he's being truthful or not, or he's playing the MJF character, whatever. The bidding war of 2024 is going to be a very, very real thing. And then we see what makes MJF so good, and then also what he did with the mom and the son, right? And everything involved there. And at least he, in his own way, apologized in the post-media scrum, calling the young man uh, the salt of the earth, right? That brings us finally here, after a very long setup, to our first question. Given the company's emphasis on being family-friendly, SP3, if MJF does get his wish, if it truly is his wish, if he takes the bag and he goes to WWE, will he be able to find similar success given the, given the restraints that are going to be around him that he doesn't have to deal with in AEW? It is something you have to consider. Yeah, I don't see how he can play this type of heel character in WWE. WWE don't have heel characters that are always in character like MJF. It would be very different. So I would say my answer is I want I want to say yes because I believe that MJF is in the top 6 to 7 best wrestlers in the world. After that performance sure. on Sunday as far as character work, uh you know, mic work, uh, in ring work when when the when the when the lights are on brightest this man delivers he's in the top six or seven in the world but i i do have uh i do have kind of like hesitation that if i was mjf if i could be this same character in that wwe landscape yeah it would definitely have to be toned down right like you can't you can't be messing with little like like the most you can do with little kids is tear a sign maybe, right? Like that's, that's like the most that you can do. You can't throw stuff on them. You can't flip them off. You can't do those kind of things in WWE. You can't go off on these, you know, expletive laden tirades in public. Like you have to be an ambassador for the company. There are some heels that will be like Austin theory, like with the exception, surprisingly of the Royal rumble, most of the press junk is that he does. He's in character. He was full on in character in his Royal Rumble post-media scrum. But there's a bigger difference between what we saw from Austin Theory and what we see from MJF when he's hobbling around with a crutch and telling the entire media to go F themselves, right? There is a big difference there. So my only concern is, is that we get the MJF that we have now, but it's so watered down that for, for us... The fans that are watching him in AEW, he's gone so extreme. And then because of the WWE family-friendly restraints, they water it down that he becomes almost neutered to a point where it's not as effective. His saving grace is, though, he's got twice the audience. So he's got the casuals that he can get to hate him as well. And, or maybe he just does something completely different and he finds a way because he is a creative guy. Hell, he could he easily could have been the top babyface in AEW right now if he really wanted to but he decided to go the other direction and found a way to flip the script and get it back in his direction. But this is going to be something that's uh, going to be interesting to watch if he does sign with WWE in 2024. SP3, bigger surprise from Revolution Sunday night. Number two here on the five count. House of Black beating the Elite or FTR making their return after the Guns retained their AEW tag team titles. House of Black beating the Elite. Uh, I call for the Elite to win because I want this feud to continue. But I think uh, House of Black beating them is going to make this feud continue. I really figured that FTR. FTR was pushing it way too much that they were thinking <laughs> about leaving and stuff. And it just seemed like if you have the guns as champion, you're not going to go back to the acclaimed. There's no other baby face tag team in the running. You know, we, we said before Sting and Darby, but FTR just seemed like the perfect guys to dethrone them. So I wasn't very surprised by that. I was happy to see them, but not very surprised. House of Black being the elite, I was. 
Yeah, see, I'm on the opposite side of that because it really, to me, and again, fell for it hook, line, and sinker like like an idiot. Uh I, I really did think that, you know, we would not see FTR unless they had signed new deals. Now, there have been, there's been conflicting reports on whether or not that they've signed a new deal. People were quoting PW Insider saying that they had that the belief was that they signed multi-year contracts. Then you had Mike Johnson coming out and saying, no, that we, we didn't say that. So be careful for whoever's aggregating that kind of stuff. So who knows what they're at? Maybe they've just been brought back to put the guns over and then they're done with AEW. Um, I honestly thought we would be surprised. I, I don't have any sources. But FTR signed new deals. Come on, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> like, I know PW Insider didn't want, we ain't say that. We ain't say, but y'all alluded to it with what y'all said in that, in that uh, PW Insider elite. And I don't blame you for alluding that because go figure. I think that the, the guns can't hold these titles for long. And if FTR, I don't think FTR would agree to come back just to job out to the guns again. That's, I think that's they a good point. They would that's agree to come point. back to win the titles like they were supposed to win it last year. But for me, I'm still going to go with FTR because I did call House of Black winning on our Revolution Prediction show because it, it just made too much damn sense. They had been laying in the weeds for too goddamn long not to win those trios titles. I Honestly, I think the tag team division needs the Bucks back in it. I think the singles division needs Kenny Omega back in it. It made all too much sense to take the trios titles off of the elite. I think these three groups these two groups will still uh feud for a little bit but ultimately house of black is going to come out and and move forward as your trios champions and i think that was the right call to make and that match was fantastic oh it, my god it was amazing on any other pay-per-view that would have been the match of the night but yeah. this pay-per-view had two other matches that could be seen as a match of the night dude there were some straight bangers on this match and then there were <laughs> there was a match that literally made me scream the phrase Jesus fuck about 37 times. I lost count at 37. Of course, I'm talking about the Texas death match and SP three, these kind of matches, especially when you let John Moxley loose and you give him no restraints, right? By the way, MJF, you want to see what a, a watered down version of yourself looks like? Go watch Dean Ambrose in WWE. All right. So anyway, we get John Moxley hangman, Adam page in a match that literally ended in a man being hung by a chain, John Moxley tapping out to end that match. That was a bit of a surprise, uh, but I loved how commentary played it off like his trachea was being crushed. I love that. Just absolutely love that. Um, SP3, this is the kind of match that that's always going to make some people feel some, some ways about some things. People on social media complaining about it, saying there was too much blood, there was too much violence. I mean, you literally had John Moxley using Hangman Adam Page like he was making a baked potato. I mean, it was so fucked up. It was so fucked up. Um, but man, you know what you you know what you're getting into with these matches. If there's one thing I hate, it's being promised something, it's being advertised something, and then not getting the goods. They delivered the goods on this. I'm gonna ask a a a. Uh, I can't shoot. I can't remember her damn name, but a three, the three bears, right? I'm going to ask a three bears level question here, but I'm only going to give two of the options because I don't think that anybody's going to say there wasn't enough violence. Texas death match too much violence or just the right amount uh, for this match here. SP three. Did you have any issue whatsoever with what you saw? I had no issue with what I saw. <laughs> this is what I expected it to Goldie be. Locks. That's the that's the chick's name. Yes, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. This was just right. This this was the baby bear. This was the baby bear's <laughs> porridge. It was just right for me. For me, this was a near perfect Texas Death Match. I I because it's very rare in these type of matches that you could see something you'd never seen before. I had never seen someone stab a man with a fork and the blood gush out onto his shoulders while he has him in in a triangle joke. I have never seen that. I've seen forks in professional wrestling. I've seen homicide. I've seen Abdullah the Butcher. I've seen New Jack. I've seen all these guys use the fork and you know bust someone open or have the blood you know as they punch the the, the fork in their head. I never seen them just pop, 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 and then all the blood gush out. That was amazing. 
I have no problem with this matchup. This is exactly what it needed to be. And this put over Hangman Adam Page to the point that Hangman feels like the right guy to be the next challenger with MJF. So he accomplished their goal. It protected Moxley. Moxley lost nothing, but he tapped out. He tapped out for the first time in AEW, yet he lost nothing in yeah, this match. Absolutely. And Hangman gained so damn much. Uh, there, there's a new level of respect that you have for Hangman. I mean, honestly, I respect anybody who's willing to put themselves through this kind of shit because it is just, it's mind-boggling, the, the the mentality that it takes to do that. And then not only did Moxley treat that man like a baked potato, but he kept going back and stabbing him more. Um, But yeah, I think this was just the right amount. Like, I've watched John Moxley matches where I'm literally uncomfortable. I may have swore a lot during this match, but I never felt uncomfortable watching this i think this was 100 just the right amount chase saying wait there are people whining about a match called a death match that's hilarious and it is and if it's not it your cup of tea, that's fine don't watch the motherfucker like no one's forcing you to watch you probably match. shouldn't have even watched a minute of it i love for all the tweets that i said oh not for me not for me you should have known it wasn't for you before you even watched it you should have you should have paused the pay-per-view or take a step away that should have been the bathroom break match yep. for you and yes, take, take care of your snacks and stuff it happened in the middle of the show where you could have took a snack break and and missed to 20 minutes you could have took 26 minutes and and talked to a loved one to not watch this matchup you i for all that tweet that I, for all the tweets that i saw i was just like did you really need to tweet that because it shouldn't have been for you from the beginning 100 all right a couple of quick wwe ones to close this out uh we talked about a couple of the matches that were made official uh for wrestlemania sp3 another one that was made official last night was that heavily rumored Six women tag match. Damage control against Trish, Lita, and Becky Lynch. Yet the question, SP3, is what becomes of the women's tag team titles? Because right now you have Dave Meltzer, who's reporting that the plan is for Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler to still challenge for the tag team titles. But also, Ronda Rousey is dealing with a legitimate arm injury right now. SP3, are you worried that your girl may find herself on the WrestleMania bubble at this point? Will, you sh will she make it to the show? What do they do with the women's tag team titles? Are, are, is Lita and Becky going to pull double duty? Or are they about to drop these bitches to, to some team out that doesn't exist right now? They need to lose the titles to Chelsea Green and Carmella, my new favorite tag team on the Raw Women's Division. They need to drop the titles to them so that we can have a multi-woman matchup. We can get Liv Morgan and Raquel on the show. Yeah. We can get Nikki Cross and Candice LeRae on the show. Yeah. We can get a whole bunch of women on this show with the, with the women's tag team title match. But I think that's only going to be possible if Ronda Rousey is healthy. Them yeah. making this matchup already when they could have gone through a couple of more beats of the story with the six woman tag is very interesting i don't know if they got word that ronda rousey is hurt more than it has been led on or not i don't know but i hope ronda rousey is healthy enough to be in the for the you know be in that woman's tag team title match because i think that's the only way it gets on the card for all the people that don't like ronda and don't want to see her i think that's the only way this this titles get a match on this card yeah look look you could even if ronda is not 100% and melter said that there's a chance that she's not i think doing a a, a four team eight women tag team match like they typically do for for the women's tag team titles it serves a lot of purposes. One, you can protect Ronda Rousey because Shayna can do a lot of the, the the damage when she's in there, and Ronda can still get the win with an arm bar, whatever you know, judo flip arm bar. It's really all that Ronda has to do, and it get more heat on her anyway. But like you said, it gets so many more women on the show. Probably yes, Chelsea Green and Carmella. I said that build up Carmella for something. I love the idea of her and Chelsea Green together. I think they work great together. Nikki and Candice LeRae got to be leading to something. And then, yeah, how else are you going to get Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez on the show? I'm all for that. Plus, that gives you four women's matches at WrestleMania. I don't think that's ever happened. I think that that would be a record uh, for WrestleMania if my memory serves correct. So 100%, I'm down with that. My question becomes, if Becky and Lita were going to drop the damn women's tag team titles inside of three weeks, not have a successful title defense, and you're going to drop them to some random team that you just put together two weeks ago, why even make the damn title change in the first place? Because Ronda and Shayna are supposed to win the belts at WrestleMania. 
So you're going to have damage control drop them to Becky and Lita. Then you're going to have Becky and Lita drop them to somebody else who are then going to promptly drop them back. This is not what we had in mind for the women's tag team titles when we said to bring them back. But hey, at least all of a sudden we got some teams, SP3. So I guess, hey, we got some Triple H, Booker of the Year, y'all. And last but not least here, SP3. Uh, I think the WrestleMania card is shaping up to be great. Like the build for all of it's not the best, but I think this card is shaping up to be really fun. I think it's going to be enjoyable two nights of wrestling. What's your biggest area of concern right now heading in to WrestleMania? Jesus freaking Christ. Like I said, you have Chelsea Green and Carmella as a tag team. That's very interesting. You have yes. the maximum male models trying to recruit Otis. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and sending uh, Baron Corbin to, uh, you know, uh, take out Chad Gable. And Chad Gable gets an actual win. You got Elias trying to uh, train Rick Boogs. You got all the great stuff that we saw last night on Raw. You had Cena, you know, pulling down Theory's uh, pants and eviscerating him. You had Seth Rollins and Logan Paul with a spectacular uh, segment with the Boston crowd cheering for, for Seth Rollins to the point with the FU, Logan Chance. WWE had to turn down the crowd. Like, you guys are yeah. Out, got to get down a bit. Like I said, I've already gushed about the bloodline storyline Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens versus the Usos. I think that's going along nicely. Cody Rhodes and Roman Reigns, uh, that that has been going along nicely, especially after the SmackDown uh promo. I even uh, I would say that they did a nice job of building to damage control versus Trish Lita and Becky Lynch. Mind you, that's the first time I mentioned women. So uh, the biggest area of concern is the fact that the women's title feuds are freaking non-existent. It's the same stuff that I said on our prediction show about the elite versus House of Black ahead of Revolution. Yes, I knew that match was going to be great. I just wanted to get excited about that match being yeah. great beforehand. And AEW, Tony Khan, gave me no reason to do that. So I'm going to repeat myself here. I know Asuka and, and Bianca Belair could be a great match. And I'm saying could be because I also thought that Rhea Ripley versus Asuka at WrestleMania 37 was going to be a great match. So I'm going to say it could be a great match. I know that Charlotte and Rhea have always delivered. That could be a great match as well. But the stories are paper thin. You basically had Bianca. Basically, it's doing part two of her Alexa Bliss rivalry of I'm versing Spooky Challenger. I have to act scared, but I'm not really scared. She's actually protecting me from getting beat down. Then we have Charlotte and Rhea Ripley, where from the beginning, when Rick was trying to was trying to defend this bullshit, I told him <laughs> the story. I told him, I literally told him the story two months ago when this whole thing started. Is the story is it's Triple H telling us Vince didn't do this right three years ago, so I'm gonna fucking do it again, even though there's no real point to this besides Rhea beating Charlotte. We know this. We know the result. And there's, it's, they literally added jack and shit to the fucking build. I don't fucking care. I don't care anymore. I like Rhea Ripley, but I don't care that she didn't get the job done three years ago. Give me something about right fucking now. Yeah, man. Most of the time when, when she shows up on SmackDown, it's put to put focus on Dom and, and, and Ray. You don't need those two. To, can, can we focus on two separate storylines at one time? Like. What did Rhea do on SmackDown? She was there to, to help beat Santos Escobar. Like, that, that's not what you should be doing with her right this second. I know she's a badass. I know she can beat up half the men in the locker room. That's not the point. That's not the point. Her and Charlotte need some actual legitimate heat fired up to it. I agree with you. Same thing with Bianca. Javon saying, why can't they write a storyline for Bianca matches is beyond me. This is the WrestleMania 37 uh, all over again with the build there. I mean, yeah, man, they had... They had Bianca and Sasha Banks, two of the best to ever do it. Who the fuck was the focus of that feud leading into it? Reggie! 
And who's the focus of Oscar and Bianca Belair? Carmella, Chelsea yeah. Green are more focuses than the yeah. two women that are actually having the damn match at yeah, WrestleMania. It's, 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 and it is clear as day. All we're gonna get as the buildup is can they coexist when they eventually do this fucking tag team match? Oh, it's fucking Chase embarrassing. Hold up, let SP3 go. It's fucking, it's fucking embarrassing because this is the guy that y'all told me he was. He loves women's wrestling. Triple H loves women wrestling, but he has done nothing, nothing to build up the two main title feuds. Because I'm gonna say it again. I've been saying it for two months. He should have had Rhea pick Bianca. It, it, you had you had the story already built for you. Instead of reminding people what happened three years ago, you could have reminded people what's been happening for this last seven months. You had a main champion who was built up as unstoppable, but you also built up an unstoppable heel to verse her at the big show. And then you just decided, no, I actually want to want to redo what Vince did. So that's what I'm going to do. The alarming, the alarming standpoint is. Bianca was the third choice because the original, according to Wrestling Observer, until Ronda said, hey, I want to work in the tag team division, they were going to have Rhea Ripley and Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania. It seems like she was going out to the SmackDown tag team championship the whole time, not the tag team, the women's championship the whole time. And honestly, I think it's because they wanted to tie her in with Dom's build with Rey Mysterio. That is not what you should be doing. They should be doing a hell of a lot more with Bianca and Asuka uh, than just, hey, I beat an opponent, then you're going to come out and look at me, and I'm going to look at you, and then we're going to look at the sign. They've done that three weeks in a row now. Like, let's 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 add some 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 other shit in here, please. Let's let's fire this up. It's like embarrassing. Like Bianca Belair, Bianca Belair. Like, I think that she has all the talents to be considered the best women's champion in the world, or the best women's wrestler in the world. She's but one of the best be, wrestlers in the world, period. But let's be honest here. Let's be honest here. We can't really say that because the last time she had a great match was in October, was against Bailey in October. She had the, the, the war games with that seven other people you got to share credit with. But I'm talking about a singles match. She had to do with the, she had to deal with the spooky bollocks of Alexa Bliss. And now she's building up with a freaking third option title feud with Asuka. And Asuka, who should be built up as a killer, spent six minutes selling to Carmella last week. And then comes out like my auntie at Easter Sunday to spit some green, spit some blue mist into Chelsea Green's eye, and then stare at Bianca for the third straight freaking week. My answer to the question, by the way, is not actually the women's feuds. I, I, but I agree with everything that you said. Um, everybody knows how big of a Bray Wyatt supporter I am right now. I'm done with the teases. I'm done with the teases. I'm done with the, the videos popping up. I'm done with the riddles. Can, can we just have some actual substance to this build between Bobby and Bray, please? I don't know why you chose this match. I don't know what the original plan was for Bray, because I guarantee you it was not Bobby Lashley. But, man, if they come out on Friday and we just get another tease and we don't get a reveal of who Uncle Howdy is, even though we all know who Uncle Howdy is after we saw him get his ass beat on Friday. Like, what does that do, by the way, for Uncle Howdy? Just absolutely getting dogged by Bobby Lashley. Like, Uncle Howdy's stock has dropped big time since he missed uh, L.A. Knight on, <laughs> on the damn jump during the pitch black match. I mean, there, there's there's nothing to this. It's just all smoke and mirrors and teases and twists and turns. And I don't know I don't know what the direction is. I don't know what the story is. And it's disheartening because I love everybody who's involved in it. It shouldn't be that hard. Friday night on SmackDown, please, for the love of Jesus, can we get an actual piece of, of real shit happening? Please. No teases, no video screens, no more riddles, no Firefly Funhouse. Just let's let's get these two in the room and, and, and get some actual like shit happening. Please. I mean, I've been over Bray since the um, Mountain Dew pitch black match. Um, I'm going to address something with Omos and Brock Lesnar. Because oh. I saw people defending that this week. Because uh, Corey Graves said on his podcast, Oh, it's not for the hardcore fans. It's for the casual fans. 
if you believe the casual fans care about Omos, I got a bridge in Brooklyn I need to sell you. Because they don't. I talk to casual fans. They don't. They view him on the same level as Great Kali, a very tall guy who can't wrestle. And I think that Omos is better than Great Kali. And I think if you are hardcore, man, you have seen that. But it's not for the casual fans. It's for one fan who was sitting in Gorilla at WWE <laughs> Raw. Stop it. Stop it. I know you want to be a WWE defender, but be better. If you're going to be a WWE defender, come up with a better excuse. And don't listen, Don't depend on Corey Graves to give you that better excuse. Real quick, Frantic World asking, what are they doing with the IC title? Gunther's facing somebody. We'll find out on Friday. I believe it's a fatal five-way ma match that's uh, been set up to determine the number one contender, LA Knight, Kofi Kingston, as long as his foot's all right. Kofi says his foot's all right. Karrion Cross is in there. And then you got Drew McIntyre and Sheamus, which makes me think that Drew McIntyre and Sheamus are both going to pin somebody at the exact same time, and we're going to end up with a triple threat match. That's what I think is going on. I could see that. I want to shout out uh, Black Horse Twenty Three, who's a, a new new to the channel. Welcome, welcome. Since you are a Japanese and Asian viewer from Japan, I will just say I'm very happy because I saw Ace asking this earlier as well. I'm very happy David Finley has joined the Bullet Club. Welcome to the team. I won't be taking a pay cut now that you're on the team. I still expect my Bullet Club paychecks to be in the mail, despite Switchblade Jay White uh, signing a WWE contract pretty soon. All right. Good stuff. We appreciate everybody who joined in in the chat. Uh, sorry, I didn't get to as many of your comments as I wanted to. Well, I really was trying to hurry this along, but SP3 went on a lot of tirades. Happy birthday to SP4 and 5. Go enjoy the birthday, good sir. I'm sorry I kept you so long. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully get some sleep after uh, the family takes us out. <laughs> Peace, y'all. That was we'll fun. be back next week at 2.15 on Tuesday. Make sure to check out Jeremy and Matt on Lost in the Mid Card at 7 o'clock Monday night, our Monday Night Raw pre-show. Until then, until next time, until I got another interview to drop for you guys, this has been the Believe in Pro Wrestling Podcast brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.